so we are talking in the month of December here about a long-expected hope. Long-expected hope. And today we're going to talk about a long-expected hope in our expectations. Now, this past week, I uh, spent some time visiting with a few folks, and, and one of the conversations that I had was going up into this time of year, you know, kind of the natural conversation becomes, you know, what, what do you want? What are you planning on getting? What are, you know, uh, the gifts. You know, we all talk about gifts. And as we were discussing this, um, you know, the, we, we noticed that the older we get, you know, kind of the, maybe the more mature that we become, that our idea of what a good gift, it, it changes. It kind of evolves over time. It transforms because you know, at, at a younger age, everything is about the, the gift that you can get. And, and wives, I'm just going to tell you right now, if, if your husband is just a little bit older, and you may be thanking me at the end of this, um, but basically I believe that when we grow and when we mature, that it doesn't, it, it, it's no longer about the material gifts as much as what it used to be. Like, you know, love getting things, love getting stuff, love getting uh, toys, trinkets, anything Lord of the Rings, it's great. But as we mature, I, I know with me, uh, it's, it's not so much about the gifts anymore. I, I honestly am getting to the place that I, I really don't care about what I'm gifted. But what really matters to me is time spent with my family, uh, those moments, those sentimental things, the, that time that we can be together with the people that we truly love. And I think that as we get older and as we mature, I think... It goes away from what we can get from a physical, material, um, you know, monetary type sense, and it come, becomes a little bit more sentimental. It, it becomes a little bit more meaningful. These moments, this time, these memories that that we're making, and the times that we're sharing together, and and even in the deepest part of me, you know, I, I'm just kind of longing for something a little bit more eternal. But I feel like one of the uh, battles that continues to rise in our world is this uh, battle between our flesh, which wants more of a materialistic thing, as opposed to what really, you know, the, the eternal, the spiritual things of making a difference like has already been spoken about today, the forming of relationships, the reaching out on behalf of Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel and having the urgency to do so. And I believe that there's a tendency to do that. And we've noticed this over the decades. Has anybody who's been alive for a little while, have you noticed this increase in this consumerism? Like this one, especially this time of year? And what I did is I went back and I did a little bit of research as to, through the decades, what are some of the biggest, highest demand gifts or toys that we can have? And I've got a few pictures up here. So we're going to start back in the 1950s. Uh, the original Mr. Potato Head. If you want something that's just going to send a little bit of a shiver down your spine, Google the images that some people have of the original Mr. Potato Head because it was just pieces that you could squash into a potato. It's like there's some freaky looking stuff that you'll find out there. But back in the 50s, that whenever it first came out, it sold one million of these new toys. Also in the 1950s, hula hoops. Anybody? Anybody like an expert hula hooper? Chances are, if you were an expert hula hooper, don't try it now. 
Okay? That's all I'm going to say. Don't try it now. But those sold 25 million. And now the next one in the 1960s, Etch-A-Sketch. Yeah, man. And this, I was a big brother. This was the ultimate torture for a younger sibling from an older sibling. Because my sister would spend hours doing that just right now. I'd walk by. I've been redeemed since, okay? Jesus has forgiven me. You should too. <laughs> but those sold around 600,000. All right. Also in the 1960s, the original Nerf football. I'm talking like the ones that was safe in that. Well, it, safe to throw in the houses. It wouldn't break anything, not like the stuff you have today, but safe, not safe in the house as you could possibly die if your parents caught you throwing it in the house. But 8 million of those. Now into the 1980s, some Star Wars stuff starts hitting, right? 40 million. The Star Wars figurines looking good right there. All right, next. Cabbage Patch. Any of you get a Cabbage Patch for Christmas? Like, is that what you want? How many parents in here threw elbows? They <laughs> like to try to get a Cabbage Patch doll, right? Okay, so three million of those. 80s, Rubik's Cube. But the record show still never figured this out. Still never figured this out. So over 100 million of those sold in the 90s. I question the spirit behind this. <laughs> this is Tickle Me Elbow. 1.2 million in the 90s. Also in the 90s. Beanie Babies. More than 100 million, especially when McDonald's started giving those out in the Happy Meals. So over 100 million. Now we go into the 2000s. Anybody remember those shin crushers? Those little scooters, you know, if you had people like me who, yeah, I bought one for my daughter, um, you know, and then you'd try to lean it up on that front wheel and spin it, and it would spin and come back and crack you on the shin. If you've never done that, just think about uh, walking into a Reese hitch on the back of a pickup truck. Similar experience. The Wii. Anybody play Nintendo Wii? Only 300 game I've ever bowled was on a Nintendo Wii. But 6.3 million. Then we get in 2010s, Minecraft. Any Minecrafters in here? Come on, it's okay. It's okay. This is a safe place, you can admit. Like 15 million of them. And then in the 2010s, Frozen. Anything Frozen. Over 530 million of these items of Frozen were sold. Come on, Pete, can't we just let it go already? <laughs> Did all of that just to set that up. No, I'm playing. But you know, we, these things bring back some memories for us. And this, what is our hope in our expectations? What are your expectations this season as we look at this concept of advent you know we talked about advent last week which is a latin word which means to come to arrive the arrival of something and we talked about it in in two ways we acknowledged it at least in two ways number one is we're celebrating advent this season because christ came as a child he came as a baby but we should also be celebrating the fact that christ is coming again as a glorious king so we should be celebrating in two different ways during this season. One, we're celebrating and we're thankful 
because the Savior has come. But we're also celebrating and thankful with a, a, a sense of expectation that He is coming again. So Advent in this season is not just something we experience and celebrate once, but it's something we also look forward to in however long the Lord decides until He comes. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 3. Um, and honestly, I'm not going to say that this may be the most unusual passage that I've ever preached a Christmas sermon on because I spoke out of Revelation during December last year. But this may be a close runner-up, but I, I promise you, we'll get there. This is going to be the account of John the Baptist. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, starting with verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make, straight his, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions about the Jordan were going out to him, and there, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Join me in a word of prayer, please. Father, thank you for another opportunity to search your word, to glean from it truths uh, that not only uh, impacts, has impacted lives uh, for thousands of years, but can, continues to impact ours as well. And I pray that you would uh, challenge us with this, uh, comfort us with this, uh, and, and just convict us by your word if that's where we need to be challenged this morning. God, I pray that you would open our ears to hear what your Spirit would say. I pray that uh, you would inspire me, Holy Spirit, to speak your words and not mine. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So John the Baptist, let's, let's just be real honest. Like John the Baptist was a weird dude, right? I mean, John the Baptist is kind of weird. Um, I know that we watched the first season of The Chosen here, but has anybody watched beyond that, like the second season? Have you all watched the second? Like in The Chosen, they refer to him as Creepy John. Like that's, that's how the disciples refer to him as Creepy John. So we've got this guy out here in the wilderness, and man, and he's just, he's, eating locusts, wild honey. He's got this wild man look to him, and he's got this message of repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Then he quotes this passage out of Isaiah, which to be honest with you, I, I, it had stood out to me before, but I'd really never looked into it a whole lot. When he says the voice of one crying in the wilderness, this is verse 3, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Looked into that a little bit more this week, and some interesting uh, things that I gleaned out of there is uh, whenever in, in this culture, whenever royalty or the king or someone of elevated status or of importance was going to be visiting one of their provinces, one of their villages, one of the areas that they ruled over, oftentimes, most always, they would send forth someone to make the announcement that they were going to be visiting, that they were going to be coming, they were going to be arriving at this place. And those messengers were oftentimes referred to as heralds. It's kind of fitting, right? Hark the herald. Angels sing. So this is a messenger that's going forth, that's making this announcement that you're going to be visited by royalty. The king is coming. And this is what what John is talking about, that this is what Isaiah was speaking. This is what I'm doing. John the Baptist served as a form of a herald for the birth of Jesus and the, the aforementioned the coming into his public view of being the Messiah. So we have this man serving as a herald. And then he says to make his paths straight. Interesting thing to me is that the herald's job responsibilities, what he was sent to do was not only to make the people aware that they were going to be visited by royalty, that someone of importance was coming, but they would also take note and make observations as they went along on their path from the place of the royalty to the place that they would be visiting. And if there were any portions of the path or the road or whatever they were traveling at, time, at that time, if there were any portions of that that would hinder the caravan of the royalty, then the herald would not only announce their arrival, but they say, listen, that curve that's got the big pothole that popped my tire out there, that you got to do something about that. That curve that's got the rock sticking out of it that's way too steep for you to be able to navigate. There needs to be something done about that. There's a tree that's laying over the road in this spot. That needs to go out there. You need to go out there and take care of that. This turn is too sharp. You need to go and cut a new one that's a little bit straighter so that the king can visit you and you have access to the king. And this is what John the Baptist is talking about. He said, not only am I here to proclaim the coming of the Messiah, but I'm also here to help make straight the path that he will be taking to you. So that was John's role in the first coming of Christ. And I want to spend just a few moments this morning and tell you that I believe that you and I have this same responsibility. I believe that we are to be heralds of the good news of the soon coming, returning, glorified King. I think that we need to be going, as Scripture says, into the highways, into the hedges, into our workplace, into our communities, into our families, into those people that we care about, into the people that we encounter that God opens a door for us. We need to be heralding the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
We need to be sharing Him. We need to be uh, living for Him. We need to be passionate about Him. But we also need to be making straight this path for Him to come. And I believe that starts with us. Whenever I believe that if we're to entertain this call of saying that I'm going to herald the good news of a soon returning glorified King, I also need to take a microscope and and kind of evaluate myself a little bit and go, what parts of my life are there hindrances in my relationship with God? What paths in my life do I need to make straight? Because I'm telling you, in this preacher's life, there's some, there's some curves in the road that don't need to be there. There's some trees down over this pathway that I need to remove. And it's not that God isn't big enough to navigate over all of them. He is. But we need to make sure that our relationship with Him is as healthy as it can possibly be because we are carrying a gospel message that is more important than any other message on the face of the earth. Now, we talked last week about the importance of if you see a term or a word that's repeated in a passage of Scripture, make sure you pay attention to it because there's a level of importance to it. There's another one. Last last week it was the light, about Jesus being the light. This week, there's another word that's mentioned multiple times, or a concept that's mentioned multiple times in this passage. Anybody got a guess as to what it is? What was John the Baptist's message? Repent. He mentions it three times in this passage of Scripture. He he talks about repent for the kingdom of God is is at hand. That you need to repent and be be set right in your relationship with God. You need to show forth the fruit of the, the works of repentance. Now, I, I don't have a lot of time this morning to go into this in great detail, but on September 20th in 2020, we preached a message here called The Response. It was during our Redeemer series, and it was the second message in that series. The first message was about the fall of mankind into sinfulness. And then the second message was The Response. And we dealt with repentance. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. Like I said, I don't have a lot of time, but I would refer back in longer form. We talked about repentance on September 20th, 2020. That's on the website. It's on the YouTube channel. We we dug a lot deeper than what we're going to be able to dig into now. But I do want to hit this for just a few moments because repentance and repenting is not simply a one-time event in our lives. To repent of our sins, to live a repentant lifestyle is far more than making a singular confession, coming up, being baptized, and then waiting for heaven. Repentance is an ongoing process in our lives. When he talks about in this passage the fruit, the bearing fruit that is evident of repentance, That is an active tense statement. Like it's an ongoing thing. The word repentance doesn't just mean that you're sorry. It means that you're changing. 
means that you're changing the direction of your life. You're changing the trajectory of what you're on. It's, you're changing the pursuit of what your heart is after. It's the changing of your desires and submitting them to Christ. It is changing the way you think. So if I'm going to give you a physical illustration of this, if my life before Christ is walking this way, then if I am going to truly repent, then it causes me to stop and turn and completely change my direction. And that's my attitude, that is my outlook, that is my perspective, that is the way that I think, that is the way that I conduct myself. Everything changes in a lifestyle of repentance. Has anyone in this building this morning ever been able to repent once and fully turn yourself around and never have to repent again? Like it just happened instantaneously? I do nothing that I used to do. See, so many times what we're guilty of is that we want to come to this place and we want to stop at I'm sorry. But then we either stand still or we continue to move in the same direction that we were going to begin with before Christ. Friends, if that's the case in your life, if you have quote-unquote repented, if you've quote-unquote given your heart to the Lord and you've quote-unquote been baptized, but there has been no change in your life, you've not truly repented. Because without change, repentance didn't happen. And again, I find myself each and every day standing in a place of needing to repent about something. Making straight that path. I find a curve. I find an obstacle. I find where the GPS is taking me the wrong course. Right, guys? We never get lost. It's the GPS's fault. Just following the blue line, man. But real quickly this morning, I want to talk to you about two types of repentance. And the first is worldly repentance, or what, what I'll call uh, horizontal repentance. Okay? Now, any of you who have kids, or any of you at one point, if you, if you was a kid at some point, you're going to recognize this type of repentance. This is the type of repentance, and this is the type of sorry, because I got caught. Like, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. Yeah. And you're just trying to avoid the consequences, right? You're sorry you got caught. Had you not gotten caught, you would have continued to do it and you wouldn't have felt a thing about it. That's the type of repentance I'm talking about with worldly or horizontal repentance. Let me, let, let's use this example. Many of you have seen a, maybe a celebrity, professional athlete, someone who's in the popular culture spotlight. And they do something, they say something that isn't received really well. They're getting a lot of, of kickback and pushback from whatever they've done or whatever they've said. They'll, they'll have a, a press conference or they'll go to their social media and they'll apologize, right? And it kind of goes something like this. If what I did or said offended any of you, I am truly sorry that you are offended. If my actions have caused you any type of discomfort, I am sorry that you are uncomfortable with what I did or said. Have you ever heard those types of apologies before? 
And it doesn't just come from, you know, celebrities. We're guilty of that too. We, we may not go to the public st- you know, setting or anything like that, or we may not say that, those words necessarily. Uh, one of the biggest ones in my life that I have to fight against is like, I'm not sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for the way I said it. Am I the only one? Any, anyone? anyone? It's like, I meant what I said. I'm just sorry about the way I said it. Which is basically a sorry, not sorry. You know, but, but worldly repentance is, is really shallow, right? It's really self-centered. It's doing all of these things to dodge, dip, duck, dive, and dodge. There's a couple people. All right, all right. It's all in this effort to keep us from having to pay a price. Or pay the consequences of doing something, saying something. Like this is complete and total, like self absorption that it's about me. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do to deflect this negativity that's coming at me. You see, this is walking this way and stopping long enough for it to appear that I'm repentant. That I'm going to hold a moment here, and as soon as your all's attention is off me and onto someone else, then I'm just going to continue right down the same path that I've always done because nobody's really paying that close of attention anymore. That's worldly repentance. That's hollow. That's selfish. That's shallow. If I'm just being really honest, I think the world has seen too much of this repentance from the church. Say law. Say law. So let's talk about godly repentance. What does godly repentance look like? Well, that looks like us taking this step, saying I'm sorry, truly meaning I'm sorry, to the place that I'm willing to turn around and go in a different direction. I'm, I'm willing to live differently. I'm willing to think differently. I, I'm going to be willing to have a different attitude. I'm going to be willing to work on becoming so easily frustrated. I'm going to be willing to work on being so irritable. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be willing to work on going from one down here, all calm, cool, and collective, to going to nuclear on a tin level in the beat of a drum. I'm willing to work on these things in my life. I'm taking myself in a new direction. Romans chapter 12 says it this way. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Some translations in that first part there where it says transformed by the renewing of your mind, some translations actually say to change the way you think. But don't be conformed to this world, but change the way you think. Because our tendency is to think the way the world thinks. 
to react the way that the world reacts, to respond in kind, to have the same attitude, to have the same outlook, to have the same perspective. That's our natural tendency in our flesh, but we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? It's a spiritual battle, and this is an ongoing repentance that needs to be taking place in our lives. I wish that on December 31st, 1989, when I responded to the call of the Lord, I surrendered my life to Him and I was baptized that night on that New Year's Eve. I wish that that was the only time in my life that I needed to repent. But I needed to repent this morning. I'll need to repent this afternoon. And I'll need to repent tonight. And then guess what? When I wake up tomorrow morning, rinse, lather, repeat. Repentance is a lifestyle, not just a one-time event. We have to make sure that our cry is to the God of light. And just in my closing here, just really quickly, we talked very briefly last week about this concept of come Lord Jesus. We talked about the motive behind that, that my, my motives when I have that cry in my heart, my motives are very rarely pure. Like when I cry out, come Lord Jesus, I have that mentality behind it. Like I'm aggravated, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, I've not had enough coffee. You know, I mean, there's just, I'm, I'm tired of the darkness around me. And I just want Jesus to come back. Just Jesus come back. There's a word in Scripture that's used twice. It's a, a couple different original language sources, but primarily an Aramaic word called Maranatha. Has anybody ever heard the, the term or the word Maranatha used? It's come, Lord Jesus. It's used in one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, and then it's used at the very end of the book of Revelation. And that is that word Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. But when it's used biblically, it's not used in the way of, come and end this. Just come back, get it over with. I'm tired of this. It is a cry out of Maranatha, of come Lord Jesus from the heart of, there are areas of darkness in this world that Jesus, I'm crying out, that you would come and shine your light in. And I believe in order to live a true lifestyle of repentance, then that Maranatha, that cry, has to be the cry of our heart on a regular basis. Because if I am serving to herald for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if I am helping to proclaim that He is returning, if I am sharing the good news of the Gospel, that not only is He returning, but He is here to, He is coming to save you, He has come to save you, and He is in the midst right now. If I'm doing that, if I'm making that proclamation, then I have to make sure that the path that He is traveling in my life is made straight. And that is by me saying, God, if there's an area of darkness in my life, I have to cry out, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, into that area of my life and shine Your light in there. And if there's anything in here that you discover when that light hits that's not of you, then guess what? Where do I find myself? I find myself back at repentance. Because that's an area that's not of God in my life. I'm going to ask the praise team if they would.
to come back up. I, I really do want to encourage you again, if you get a chance this week or here in the, the next little bit, uh, to go back and, and listen to that message from September 20th of 2020. Uh, it goes into repentance and the concept of that from a biblical and a worldly standpoint so much deeper. And, and yeah, listen, if you, if you have some time during the week, there are things that we talk about here. There's things that I've talked about in this sermon that I've just not had time to be able to go into a lot of detail and a lot of depth with. Um, and we do a video at the beginning of each week. Uh, it's called Chop for Time. We put it out on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can find it there. And we talk about this kind of stuff a little bit more in depth. But take this look at your life right now as a believer in Jesus Christ. And say, yes, I want to proclaim. I want to take the, the, the charge that Abby gave in the offering thought. And I really want to take that to heart. And I want to share uh, His goodness passionately. And I, I want to see people come to Him and surrender their lives to Him. But I also have to take this look of repentance in my life. In what areas do I need to be crying out Maranatha in my relationship with Jesus?